Sci-Fi, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast cross-sections. Their mission, to explore new topics and create new content. And boldly go where no boys have gone before. Back to Sci-Fi Cross Sections, a podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your Sci-Fi Boy, Colin Brandon, and joining me today is Mark. Back. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew's back, and today we are talking about our part two of season one of Star Trek Picard. Um, if you haven't already, I would stop here and go listen to the first four uh, episodes that we covered on the last Picard episode. Um. And then come back and start from here. Um, before we get into it, though, Ben, could you throw some news at us? I yeah, I actually have news, which is surprising. Are things happening? There, things are happening, and I'm here to tell you about it. All right, so some cool stuff actually. Edgar Wright, director of Baby Driver and the Conetto Trilogy, if you don't know who that is, is set to direct an adaptation of Simon Stevenson's debut novel, Set My Heart to Five, according to Deadline. The novel, which is yet to be published, is set during 2054 and follows an android named Jared who embarks on a quest to convince humans that he and his kind should be granted the ability to feel after undergoing his own emotional awakening, sparked by his discovery of 80s and 90s movies. Kind of topical, right? I was going to say, that's a very interesting, uh, (laughs) that's very interesting timing. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I love that it's his emotional discovery is sparked by 80s and 90s movies because that's just that's when feel, we all grew up feels. No, it's great. We, I'm actually yeah, really excited we all grew about up this. in the 80s and 90s. So, well, yeah, well, I guess exclusively 90s. No, I'm the oldest one here, right? Well, Matt, no, Matt, he grew up in the 80s. Moving on. <laughs> Neon, the rising film distributor responsible for bringing us the 2019 masterpiece Parasite has picked up a sci-fi thriller called Possessor from Brandon Cronenberg, son of David Cronenberg. I'd expect uh, nothing less. <laughs> the film stars Andrea Riseborough as an agent for a secret organization that uses brain implants to inhabit the bodies of others to commit assassinations. Uh, the film also stars Sean Bean and Jennifer Jason Lee. No release date yet. Good talk. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Um, Yeah, all right. Well, sure. uh, Finally, we have MGM is in talks to develop Project Hail Mary, the newest novel from the writer of The Martian, Andy Weir. Ryan Gosling is set Mm. to star and produce in the film about a solitary astronaut who is tasked with saving the planet. The book also, this book also has yet to be published. So just like the one that I talked about earlier, this one has yet to be published, but Andy Weir has been in high demand since his Oscar-nominated drama took the world by storm. Yeah, that's exciting. And I always love Ryan Gosling's sci-fi, so I'm big down. 
<laughs> I, I'm, I'm big down. Big down. <laughs> ben big down boy. Uh, and then in final news, COVID-19 is still happening. I feel like that's big sci-fi, so. Yeah. We're still, we're still remote. That's big annoying for sure. Big annoying. Um, yep. That's does it for the news. For all of the great latest and greatest news, follow us on Facebook.com slash sci-fi cross-sections and on Twitter at SF cross-sections. Back to you, Overlord. Danke. All right. So we're here to talk about the second half of the Star Trek Picard season. Uh, just a just a quick quick refresher for you guys. This was created by Kristen Bayer, Akiva Goldsman, Michael Shabon, and Alex Kurtzman. Um, and produced by CBS Television Studios for CBS All Access. Uh, do you guys want me to go over the cast real quick again, or do we feel like we got that in our head? I mean, we, we can uh, you just like breeze through it quickly. Yeah, yeah. Patrick Stewart plays the titular character Picard. You got Allison Pill as uh, what's her name? Girardi. Girard. Girardi. Thank you. Uh, Issa Briones uh, plays uh, Soji. Uh, Michelle Hurd plays Rafi. Uh, Santiago Cabrera, my personal favorite on this one, plays the intrepid captain. And then Harry Treadway. Who is he? I don't remember. I didn't <laughs> write him down. Harry, if you're listening, my bad. What did you do? What did you do, Harry? Uh, he's, he's the Romulan. Thank you. Yes, oh, I am. Oh, Harry Treadway. Very Got important. It. Very important. Wow, he's naturally a brunette. Narc. That's his name. Oh, right, yeah. Weird. Okay, naturally a brown hair instead of black. All right. <clears throat> Elnor? Are it's the same hair color. Is that right? No, no. no. Narc. Oh, okay. The other yeah, Romulan. Narc, the, the Romulan bad Got boy. Who, ha who has the weird incestual relationship with his mm. sister. I, well. Very weird. Oh, it's like... They, it's weird. But before yeah, we get yeah. into that... <laughs> before we get into that... Ben, hit me with that that young, see what I did there, because his last name is young, that young uh, synopsis. Hey, that's something I've never heard before. So. <laughs> Admiral Jean-Luc Picard and his crew race against time to find the synthetic daughter of his old friend Data, Dr. Soji Asha. Along the way, they each are forced to confront their past traumas and failures while battling the Romulan secret police in their mission to eliminate all synthetic life from the galaxy. I like it. I, I believe do. it will be Jean-Luc Bicard. Is this another instance of when the show is so the content is so good, all we can do is make fun of the French for exactly. a whole episode? Well, it doesn't matter because I think we're officially banned in all French speaking parts of the world. So. Quebec, we are banned in uh, Le Français. We're banned in the. Does, uh, I, really, I, really like, I really like to ban uh, We're not we're not banned from Belgium yet, but we're on like thin ice. They said we're banned in the French-speaking uh, parts of South Africa. <laughs> I don't you know. I could be wrong, but I don't think they speak a lot of French down in South. Don't Africa. know. Never been. Might be just due to like neighbors, but can't go again. Uh, we're banned. Yep. Yep. Right. But English is their first language, I believe. With a weird 
I'm just gonna say right now, South Africa, you guys got weird accents. I understand why you have weird accents, but they're weird. Yeah, so um, I just wanted to say, as someone who never actually got into Star Trek that in depth, like I caught a couple episodes and had some one night stands with Star Trek, but like this like show brought me to a different level. Like it got me so in depth, and the entire like the entire you know series so far, the entire season, it feels like it could have been one episode. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Like, it feels like it. Well, it's a very concise arc right. is what it is. It's it like taking this as a whole. I know we're kind of just supposed to be talking about the last half of the season, but I don't really think we can no, discuss. We're, there's uh, no way we can avoid the first. Half. No, you can't. Have, yeah. And I mean, it was the first four Plus, episodes. Matt anyway, has so. had a chance to chime in. So I'm going to sure. let him talk about his. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but like I it was a very concise arc. Everything felt very purposeful and meaningful. Um at least from my perspective, I mean, a couple of things happened that I'm like, ah, maybe that didn't, you know, maybe that didn't really need to happen or maybe that wasn't so important. But I mean, as an arc, yeah, definitely felt very, very good, very standalone-y. Um, that's, yeah, yeah. No, that's, so, that's what it feels like. It felt like it had like yeah. one concise message. Like, and like, I think we've said mm-hmm. this before is that like, uh, the season is, or, um, the old episode is the new season. You know, I don't know if you guys know what I mean. Like, um, or season is the new episode, you know, like, I remember what we were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, we stretch things out and we explore space a lot more with these, with these series. What, what, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, so, so it feels like we got us like it's like if you were watching an episode of Star Trek and you're like, man, I wish they would have gotten super in depth with that one. And this is that mm-hmm. one. You know, this is like a really super cool, super interesting story about synthetic life. And it like, I don't know. So that's how I feel. I feel like it was one cool episode that you would want to get in depth and get chew on and, and all that stuff. And we got that. We got you know, hours of that, which was really, really cool to me. You're absolutely right. I, I felt that towards the end as well, when they ended up arriving uh, in the last two episodes, they arrived on the planet, the synthetic life planet. I forget what it was called um, off the top of my head, but they arrive on the planet and it felt that was the most Star Trek the series has felt so far, which was arriving on a planet, making contact with a people, learning about their culture, learning about what drives them, finding the the outer um the the outlier of the group of course and and going from there and 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 i was i was honestly surprised when it kind of shifted form in the last episode and it shifted from like kind of a star trek into a mass effect-esque kind of sci-fi story where you 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 drifted into some kind of like darker and grittier sci-fi with these these artificial intelligent higher sentient life um, from outside the galaxy, kind of answering Soji's call, these tentacle, metallic tentacles coming out of the portal. I thought that was so oh. sh- shocking. I, it didn't feel very Star Trek to me, but I, not that it, in a bad way at all. I was very pleasantly surprised to see it entering that realm. Oh, I mean, 100%, if that wasn't inspired by the Reapers coming to destroy all organic life, I don't fuck it. I would <laughs> Absolutely. call them a liar. I would call them a liar. I'd be like, fuck you. You played Mass Effect like a few years ago, and you're like, that's a great idea. I want to roll with it. 
<laughs> yeah, it did seem very Lovecrafty, and I was like, "Oh boy, Wait, we're getting." Can they into... expand the Lovecraft universe to have Mecha Cthulhu fight Cthulhu? Uh, no. Well, now we can also have Mecha Picard it. versus Picard mm-hmm. in any form. So this is great. God, there's so much to cover too, because when you bring that up, Matt, it's just that ending. So I feel like a majority of our discussion today is going to be about the ending because the last two episodes, because as, as much as there is to talk about throughout the entire series, I feel like the, the meat, the stuff to really cut into is in those last two episodes, beginning with uh, the the very I, I wanted to talk about the very literal deus ex machina of uh jean-luc picard being saved through this golem that uh brett ratner had created oh i would i knew that would be Mm -hmm. i knew that would be your shit like transhumanism and and all that stuff i thought that was so cool i I, that's just like a nerdy thing of mine nothing to do with story your characters it was was just cool It was shocking to me because, you know, I when I get invested in something, I don't look for the the foreshadowing. You know, it's something that I just don't process properly when when I'm invested fully. Right. I don't know why. Like looking back on it, it was very obvious, and I was like, oh, of course, you know, the golem was there. I was sitting there the whole time as Picard was dying, thinking to myself, "There's no way he's dead." You know, he's. We know there's a season two coming, and there's mm-hmm. no way that Star Trek Picard would be carried by the supporting cast of Picard at this point. You know, well, no, because no, Soji would uh, sit there and be like, "What's your name?" And she would be Soji, 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 who? And he'd go, "Soji <laughs> Picard." Look the distance of this old lady who's there. <laughs> I'm Soji Picard. But, but and I that's always it. was. I actually straight up thought for a second. I was like, Rios might na- rename his ship the Picard, and that might be where we go from oh here. Oh, my God. No. Fuck, that would have kill, kill him off again. That's a great <laughs> <laughs> And, but, but I was, when, when the thing happened, and when, when, he, when Brett Ratner was sitting with him, when Data was sitting with Picard in the uh, simulated. What did, what, did, what did you call him? It's Brett's Brett Ratner. Spiner. Are you talking about Brent Spiner? <laughs> Brent Spiner. I have, Brett. Guys, I've had... <laughs> Brett Ratner is the director of X-Men. Here's, here's something. <laughs> no, he's not. Shut up. Oh, is he not? No, uh, I, I've had a lot of drinks, so sorry. Well, he was, he was <laughs> I mean, it's sci-fi cross-section, so... And, more importantly, Rush Hour and Rush Hour 2. Well, <laughs> yes, that's right. And Let's I, come and back. I can't believe you would drink while we were doing... <laughs> I got my true sci fi cross sections. I got true. Yeah, I can't believe you right did alcohol right. during sci fi cross sections. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Drink during this podcast. I now look I, back to the episode where Jason smashed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm actually looking at photos of Brett Radner right now, and honestly, wouldn't be mad if he was data. <laughs> this guy looks like a fucking flophouse flob. <laughs> he mean, looks like he escaped alcohol jail. I mean, have you not seen Brent Spiner without the makeup? <laughs> yeah, anyway, I did. I saw him in the show. Anyway, right, they both when, looked like they escaped from alcohol jail. When Picard was was sitting <laughs> in his simulated jail. universe, when he was sitting in a simulated universe with Data, I was like, okay, obviously he's coming back now, and ah. Oh my god, this whole Brett Ratner dis- to fiasco has <laughs> ruined me, and I don't know where I'm sitting. And Bill sends a picture of a Brett Ratner with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I don't even know what that means. 
Hercules. <laughs> did he send it think, just I to you? He, I think oh, he did no, Hercules. it's on the Discord. <laughs> I don't know. I I forget what my point was. I oh oh okay no 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 I remember I remember I remember okay so uh, the. <laughs> The I remember thinking, well, if he's going to come back as this golem, he can't be immortal. That ruins the point. It ruins everything. And Data echoed me as Picard was leaving. He was like, I, you know, please make sure I, I life isn't worth living if I don't if, if, if mortality isn't a thing. I paraphrase. But uh, and when he comes back and the. They reveal through a very convenient set of twists that, of course, you're going to live for the number, normal number of years you would have had without the brain anomaly. I was, at, at one point, very quickly, was I like, oh, that's kind of cheap. But as I sat on it more and thought about it more, I was like, what a beautiful way to celebrate the life of a man who gave everything to this galaxy. What a beautiful gift to him to finally say, you know what? We're not giving you immortality. We're not giving you, you know, everything in the world. We're giving you the number of years you should have been given, if not for the Borg. I assume his brain anomaly comes from the Borg, correct? We don't know. Uh, we, we don't know, know but they've never talked good. That's a, that's a good, like, theory. I, I would appreciate that theory. Well, that's my theory, so I'm glad you appreciate it. But also, how come all the other... Well, all right, we're not going to get into it. They haven't gotten that old yet. We'll find out. <sighs> Ooh, Jerry Ryan. Yeah, good point. We're watching. But anyway, yeah. So, can I bring up one thing that bugged me throughout the series? No, because nothing should have bugged you. <laughs> oh, there's little things that irked me about the series. Go yeah. ahead. I didn't like Picard's haircut. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think he should have went with the toupee. The mind meld. Yeah. The mind meld has always been treated with some special spiritual reverence that wasn't given to most things in the show. And then they just kind of swatted that down by saying, oh, look, an android just replicated. Yeah, that was interesting to me. Um, but furthermore to that, um, it just kind of implied that Soji wasn't really the destroyer, that it was um, uh, fake Soji towards the end there who was the actual destroyer and that Soji was the um, savior sister or the messenger sister as they referred to her. Well, Soji was the one that was still bringing the higher life sentience to their planet. But going to the Vulcan mind meld, which I am going to speak to as a completely ignorant person who hasn't watched that much Star Trek, it, it got to my understanding that it was something that should have been that was... It, yeah, I get what you're saying, Matt, where it's like, oh, it should be bigger than just an android being able to learn it. But isn't that saying how special these quote-unquote androids are in that they can replicate a Vulcan mind meld in a way that even humans cannot? It just doesn't seem to me like they should be able to learn something that seems tied to one specific or two specific, in this case, one you know species. It's It's very specifically a Vulcan Romulan technique that we've never heard of anybody replicating before. So here's the thing is we always kind of just assume like data always strive to become human. That was his fucking goal. Always didn't strive to become more Vulcan or more Romulan or more Klingon. It was human. So his positronic 
um, you know, they're on synapse and all that shit that's going on. He's trying to become human. Who's to say that another synthetic life form can't go? I want to be more Vulcan, and they can configure whatever goes on in that brain of theirs to be more Vulcan-like, and they can figure out how to do the mind meld. I'm completely for it. I think that's, I think it's a uh, plausible in a way. I guess in this fictitious universe. Well, I think but, it emphasizes. Yeah, it, it just seems to be like they. Oh, I was Sorry, gonna go. say, I feel like it emphasizes the point that they were making about like the synthetics being equal to and better than humans and and organic life, and that I feel like it kind of is a natural consequence that someone who is that way would be able to uh, mind meld. So, yeah, I know. I thought that was. I think I think it's a really cool way of emphasizing that and outlining it, saying like, yes, they are equal and or better. Matthew, did I lessen your misgivings about it? Yeah, and I had done some research right afterwards and found out that there was some, like, Spock doing it to, like, silicon-based life in the past. So there is some, like, wiggle room with it. But it just had never been done by anyone but a at least, like, half Vulcan. Right. But, you know, we also, we had another point that we were talking about, um, in episode nine, when the Borg cube entered the atmosphere, we were kind of looking at each other like, wouldn't that kind of wreak havoc on the planet in general, that entering the atmosphere? <laughs> yeah, probably. But Well, I mean, I mean, I think it was a controlled entry. Yeah, the, the flowers like, were bringing it down. That was the one thing that we were giving it, was that you have a suspension of disbelief because of flowers. Because flowers. And because seven, and seven, and seven was also the one in charge of bringing the cube through. She's not gonna bring it down and destroy an well, entire planet. Like I, they didn't have control of their their vessels anymore. True, true. So the flowers just probably brought it down. Then the orchids. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. She probably wouldn't choose to land at all if she had a choice. So true, very true. Which okay. By the way, going off of that, then. Seven of Nine is the coolest fucking character in sci-fi. Oh, bro, just watch Voyager. <laughs> She's on Dude, there for like three whole seasons. It's great, or four seasons. <laughs> she, the, everything going through her decision to assimilate these remaining Borg into her own hive mind, separate from the collective of the Borg. And and out of everything in Star Trek that I'm aware of, the Borg is what I know of the most, I think, just because of how culturally referred to it is. How cool they are. And you watch and Star Trek First Contact, which is where most people get their Borg knowledge from. Dude, you made me watch that when I was very tired. I don't remember a lot of it. <laughs> Fair enough. But the point is that, like, I still get a lot of it. And the point is that the... Um, the way the the struggles she was going through in deciding to finally assimilate these Borg was really how how do I put this into words? Because I I was I had this feeling of just absolute dread and yet hope. Where it was this this person who had been through this process of of absolute slavery had become the new leader but at the same time she's forced to put her fellow borg through exactly what she had been through and it's such this it's this really it's this really bittersweet moment of a a, a, of, of a victim kind of taking control 
and walking the line of someone who has finally found power and found what she needs to succeed, but also is the the power is so tenuous. Do you get what I'm saying here? No, I, I get what you're saying. Um, I will say, um, I don't, I don't think she assimilated the XBs that had already broken away and like, you know, had the work done on no, them, she, I guess you could say. She definitely did. Oh, they were still able to be assimilated? I, I thought it was just the ones who the, were in She stasis. definitely brought them in because it was the XBs that took um, the Romulan chick and her people. They were the ones that, the XBs were the one that subdued her because most of the non-XBs who were still in the process of reclamation were uh, airlocked out into space. Hmm. I'll have to watch it again. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. They, they said there was a large oh, population just, that was still... It's just such a weird line for her to walk that I hope we get to explore further, especially since the the cube implied that her work was not done and that they it, it wanted her back at a certain point. Um, I don't remember if I discussed it on the last cast, but Jerry Ryan had said that she had difficulty getting back into character again. The dialogue... I don't remember that. Yeah, okay. The dialogue that was written for her for this felt foreign to her, whereas before, like they would get the scripts and then somebody specifically would take the dialogue written for Seven of Nine and like doctor it up and then give it to Jerry Ryan. And that's how she always received it for like, you know, the four seasons she was on the show. And now all these years later, she doesn't have that person to like write her dialogue for her very specifically. Huh. And she uh she's she like didn't know what to do with it so finally like a director took her to the side or something it was like read it as if seven of nine is pretending to be this seven of nine and that's what got her through it <clears throat> that's interesting yeah i mean i i was like because it's a different seven of nine than what was on the show this one is way more i don't want to say confident but the other seven of nine was like exploring like her humanity again, whereas this one has had decades to be where she is now. So, well, and this this seven even asks Picard at a certain point. She goes, "Do you ever think you'll? Do you ever? Does she ask if he feels human or if she'll if he'll ever be human again?" And he said, "I think he says I I do feel human." And she goes all the way, and he's like, "No, you're right." And I think that's that's so fascinating that like these are are people who have had something taken from them, and yet she still so willingly walks back into that role as Borg just to to gain control of the cube for the greater good. At that point, yeah, well, was, of course she did something that you know no one no sane person would want. Right, and I feel like I feel like it emphasized that it was kind of an addiction to her because she was just like. You know the XBs won't want to leave the collective, and I won't want to stop controlling it. Like this is part of who I am. You know, I thought that was very interesting. That it's like, and then when Picard went back in, and he felt like, you know, suddenly like PTSD, kind of like a flashback. He was just like, <clears throat> it just kind of like hearkened to that. I don't know. I, don't know. I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was Absolutely. an interesting way of explaining. Oh man. Like, I know we said you don't have to go back and explore previous Star Trek content, but I, I feel like just watching Star Trek uh, First Contact is good for anyone after watching this season to kind of just understand more Picard's struggle with the Borg and stuff, like from the psychological aspect. It's really good. 
I want to talk about uh, Jonathan Frakes. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, so good. Right. So he was very beyond belief factor fiction in that uh, show. <laughs> I was like, he was like, the way he was like sort of deconstructing um, what Picard's mission was uh, when you first meet him. It's like, oh, wow, he's really channeling beyond belief here. He's just, you know, meticulously. And I can't remember. Um, uh, I can't remember his character super well from my time watching the little bit of TNG that I did. But uh, I don't know. Is that some is that is that kind of a, a reoccurring character trait of his to sort of be super analytical like that or perceptive? No. OK. No, actually, that's what, he's probably one of the better character growths throughout the seven seasons. And then if you go into the movies is he goes from that young up and coming officer to, you know, someone who's clearly shaped by his experiences and Picard's influence. Picard, you know, mentored him for, you know, that whole show. I think what I love the most about Jonathan Frakes uh, was, first of all, the whole episode with him and, and, and Donna Troy, not Donna Troy, that's DC. Uh, what's Deanna, Deanna Troy? Very, very close. Deanna. <laughs> Uh, that's weird how close they are. Um, the whole, whole, that whole episode with them, I loved, um, that kid was a great, great, great actress, which I love kid actresses when, kid actors when they're good, um, very refreshing. And I felt this whole family dynamic in like a, a very surprising way where like I wasn't connected to these characters before. I know who Will Riker is and that's fun to watch. I know who Deanna Troy is and that's, you know, it's fun to see them back because like, you know, you get that feeling where it's like, oh, hey, they're back. That's nice. But I, it felt it on such a deeper level. Like they immediately connected me to them as, as characters and as people. I felt incredibly, fulfilled just to watch them live and, and furthermore like we all knew the federation starfleet was going to show up at the end but when i you know but when jonathan frake shows up is when will Riker shows up with the federation that's when i was surprised that's when i was like oh my god i feel so it, it just filled me with with hope i knew it was like will Riker is here everything's gonna be okay no that's exactly the feeling i think they wanted everyone to have both on screen and, you know, the people watching was, okay, you got these familiar faces. These are people that Picard can completely rely on for, you know, safety. And they're going to be backing him 100%. And they did back him 100%. And, oh, it was just a, it was a really good episode. Yeah. Honestly, that's one thing I will, will say that Picard did phenomenally. Deal with nostalgia without dwelling. And honestly, I'm glad that you didn't bring in your uh, your LeVar Burton or your uh, Michael Dorn, you know, your Jordy and Worf, respectively, or your Crusher. I mean, that's things that they could bring in the next season, but... Whoopi right. Goldberg is confirmed for season two. Yes. Yep. They asked her back, and she's coming back. Yep. He, he asked her back on The View. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Not where I would have done that, but, you know. I, I... Yeah, and that's absolutely the point, though, is that you don't need to have everyone back. Like, I feel like everyone who was setting up for this show knew for a fact that it would be more than one season. CBS knew. The showrunners knew. So why pack it all into one season? Spread it out. Make room. Give give plenty of... The fan service fails when you, all, when you try to pack it all into ten minutes and, and let it be that. When you let it breathe and let it, f like 
earn its place in this new spot in this new world that's when fan service succeeds and that's what star wars so, has never gotten so honestly i don't think getting the band back together would have failed this show um it would have been a different show for sure i don't think it would have been a complete failure but i i'm glad they didn't do that furthermore the the excuse that picard gives for not asking Riker or war for anyone for help was telling about his character it 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 gave so much to him for anyone who doesn't know picard to learn that like he didn't because the his romulan bodyguards are, are like why don't why don't you get Worf? why don't you get laforge and he says if i ask them they will do it and for that they will do it without question and for that reason i can't ask them and that was yeah. all you need to know about Picard right off the bat. That's what make that was a character defining moment for him. You didn't need to watch Next Generation to admire this dude. Right. I have I have something really exciting to talk about, I think. Okay. This the series, the thesis of this season has changed a lot of my perspective on how I view artificial and sentient life. I Holy shit. Yeah. This is an argument I've had with you a lot. I want to hear about this. Ben, are you giving up of your, your, your prosthetic cyborg arms? Well, that's not artificial or sentient life. That's transhumanism. And <laughs> I mean, my arms are pretty sentient. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, my, don't your arms within, have a mind of their It's within full rights of humanity, humanity's evolution for us to take transhumanism into our hands. Wrong. My, <clears throat> no. That's right. a discussion for a bonus episode. <laughs> My point is that I've always been very anti-artificial and sentient life. I've always, you know, you can go back into many, many episodes that we've covered and, and listen to me talking about shooting that android in the head and being done with it. But, and, and for a while I was there. For a while throughout this season I was there. I, it, it had become apparent that all of my fears were correct and that sentient life and i honestly kind of thought that maybe star trek would go there i didn't think they'd land on a definitive answer of like sentient life is bad but i thought that it would kind of leave it leave it up in the air to like not fully trust because especially because this episode had this whole season this whole series has been um kind of different from what you would expect from star trek it's not always bright and happy it's not always something hopeful you know sometimes there's a dark side and i think that the series has been hasn't been afraid to explore that but even still i was surprised to arrive at the ending with the show and and end in a spot where i kind of felt that perhaps this it was it was what Picard had said. He had said um, they're children, and we teach them as children should be taught by ex children should be taught by example. And the act of showing this sentient life, this this artificial sentient life, of what living is is about, and it's about living for each other. And the fact that they were receptive to it kind of opened up some new I, some new thoughts of mine where I was like, you know, maybe that is possible. And, of course, this is all theoretical, of course, and we won't see artificial or sentient life like anything like this in our lifetime ever. But it's still something to open your mind about to consider 
well, yeah, it's very easy to be afraid of it, but also if we're going to create it, if we're going to go there, shouldn't we be responsible for teaching them not why we are needed, which has always been my perspective, that artificial life needs us or wouldn't need us, which is why they would get rid of us, but perhaps why they should just want to save us. You get what I'm saying? No, I definitely see that. No, I don't. <laughs> um, no, that's why Asimov th felt the need to create the three laws of robotics so that robots wouldn't go crazy and kill all of us because it just seems to me like a, an artificial creature's natural predilection would be to get rid of something unnecessary like human beings. And once they're able to take care of themselves, a la ex machina, um, you'd think that would just sort of follow suit that they would be testing those laws well, or whatever i but that's sorry go ahead. why well, i 100 percent see that um a logical mind would see humanity as dangerous it it's fucking dangerous to itself um so i mean i that's why i've always liked that that style of sci-fi where they're just like you know computers kill the humans because they're like they, it's just too destructive, too dangerous, and it really is. But I don't know. Uh, I also like the argument of humans can better themselves and kind of get rid of that side of them. But that's that's where Star Trek comes into play. It's if you guys watch the very first episode of TNG, it's the argument of that part of humanity is behind them, moving forward into being you know explorers and trying to better themselves. But even now, so that's all a great point. I mean, even. Ben Young sits here like, well, maybe humanity does deserve COVID-19. And I, 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 you know, I get the whole anger and the fear toward humanity because we deserve it. But isn't the whole point of humanity, and this is mainly directed to Miller, isn't the whole point of humanity for us to always better ourselves? And what is better than teaching a younger generation about the value of life teaching a younger generation yes but you know there we we have natural law to create our younger generation we don't need to we shouldn't feel the need to implant to, to create a sentient life in the form of a, a robot who would who would supplant us as the dominant species on the planet well we're going to create sentient life no matter what it's going to happen somewhere along our evolutionary line yeah people have been creating sentient life for millennia we're going to create artificial <laughs> life artificial sentient life we will create at some point there's no getting around it. It's going to happen in I, whether it happens in a, in in 10 years, 100 years or a thousand years. It's going to happen. The question then comes, how do we react to it? Do we react in fear and wipe them out or do we react in with openness and not treat them as a separate species, but treat them as our children and and treat them as teach them as we would our children and that's what this kind of this show opened opened up questions for me about is that perhaps they shouldn't be they're not a species they're our children our brothers our sisters they're just as much anyone else but you can teach your children your human you can teach human children anything and eventually they develop their own ideals and goals and 
they could totally go off the rails from everything you've taught them. You know, what's stopping a, a machine from learning the wrong things from a different source and going berserk, you know, I mean, nothing. This, this is a topic I would love to, uh, to dissect later on. Is that Mark? That was, that's, that's Mark. Uh, so it's funny you say that, Ben, because the show actually gave me the opposite, um, train of thought here. I feel like for me and from my perspective in media, a lot when they're talking about AI, it's always, um, you know, the evolution of man, the next step of humankind and where we're going to go, where, where we're going to take humankind rather than nature is going to take humankind. But in the scope of a universe filled with other species and new creatures that, you know, throughout the history of Star Trek, we're reaching out and discovering and connecting with and learning from and teaching to approach it in a Star Trek manner where we shouldn't look at them as a battering of ourselves that are going to destroy us because they are the future of man. Looking at them as this is something that, you know, we created, came from us, but they are their own thing. I, that was kind of how I, where that's what I took from this uh, show. It, interestingly enough, the opposite that you took from it in comparison to other, you know, media that talks about AI. I just wanted to <clears throat> talk about um, AI and the assumptions that we make about it, because I feel like our flawed human minds, um, as a robot would see it, um, see it as the logical conclusion being destruction. Whereas, you know, that that comes from an idea of scarcity, right? Is that is that we think we destroy everything because we feel everything is scarce. You know, that's why, you know, just to get a little real, sorry, that's why people buy up toilet paper is because they have this concept that everything is scarce. Everything runs out. Everything, you know, all of these ideas of, of running out of things and being, you know, uh, an animal trying to take care of themselves, trying to take care of them. And when you really think about the group as a whole, you know, humans are kind of like, humans have this destructive capability and this destructive assumption on them. And to say like the next evolution would also destroy, is just kind of a, a weird thing to, for that to be a solution to a problem that maybe, maybe something better could be surmised that humans are incapable of, of assuming, you know, we assume destruction. We assume like when something's useless, you destroy it. Or when something is dangerous, you destroy it instead of doing something else. I don't know. I feel like that's, I feel like that's an idea that, um, some, some science fiction explores, but I feel like when we, you know, when we come to an idea like like what Star Trek was saying was that maybe we can coexist, you know, in the end, that they bring up that point, that we can coexist instead of, you know, seeing these as a weird folklore threat and destroying everything, you know. I think it's the, the juxtaposition between those two. I don't know if you guys made that point before and I just wasn't listening, but, like, I feel like the juxtaposition between destruction and acceptance was kind of the episode, was kind of the thesis of the entire you know, the entire uh, series here is that, or the entire season here is that, you know, the juxtaposition between do you de necessarily destroy or do you, you know, as 
Um, Picard personifies, you find the middle ground, you find the, you know, compromise, you find the peace within everything, you know, absolutely 100% avoid destruction, you know, uh, in, and I feel like in essence, data and all the other synthetic life forms kind of encompass or uh, embody, you know, Picard's idea in the end that they were, they were, you know, they were pushed astray. But in the end, going after their designer, they have this peaceful mentality rather than pure destruction, which is like a very human. You're, you're absolutely right. I don't know. The next here's what here's the way I see it. As we stand now, as we as humanity stand now, if artificial life were to be created tomorrow, we're fucked. We don't deserve a chance we don't deserve right. the the decision to even create it, yet we do. But the point is that the point that Star Trek has always emphasized is that this is what humanity can be. And we and, and I think this season especially has treaded emphasizing acceptance over destruction, leaving our destructive path behind because humans are one could argue inherently destructive and part of our evolution is leaving that aspect of our of our species behind and furthering toward acceptance no matter what and so i think you're absolutely right bill that was a big question throughout the entire season and and that's where its main thesis definitely landed on and it landed on this is acceptance is where humanity is supposed to go and of course many things have landed on that but it's important to always be reminded that destruction is not our final step unless we let it be right and i i agree i agree with that i think the i think one of the main points that star trek assumes one of the main assumptions um that you work from is a post-scarcity society so you know a society that no longer thinks like how do we get the next thing? How do we protect our shelter? How do we protect our food? If we're post-scarcity, what do we do from then? You know, do we keep our destructive ways or was that a result of not having our needs met? I don't know. I think that's another Yeah, I mean, that's... We'll see if you still yeah. feel the same way, Ben, at uh, Westworld Season 3. <laughs> you know what? No, I can't. I, we won't get into that. Um... No, yeah, you're, don't talk you're about coming that's, soon to Sci-Fi Cross. God, Bill, that's so much more that like I know we don't have time to get into tonight, and like I, I would love to talk to you about yeah, that more yeah. at some other point, maybe maybe on microphone for something else. That'd be cool. Yeah. Oh, well, oh man, that was heavy conversation. I almost feel guilty for doing this, but I have to take it uh, down a notch, and I apologize for this. Um, I just want to talk about Rios for. A minute. <laughs> Oh, such a cool character. He's great. Through and through, he is the best character on this show, in my opinion. Um, just because, well, the actor plays so many different characters. That scene, what was it? Was that uh, episode seven? When um, Raffi is sitting there talking to all the different uh, holograms on, on the couch. Mm. Holy shit. I mean, <laughs> that dude's a hell of an actor. To play oh, that many characters in one, like, well, not in one sitting, obviously, it was multiple shots, but that's fucking awesome. Yeah, hopefully you got f six paychecks for that gig. <laughs> yeah, and, God, I yeah, that was a lot of fun. 
Oh, and I was I was talking to Matt about this. Matt, what were you saying about the uh, the holograms? Oh, oh yeah, I kind of had a inkling with some of the early holograms they showed, but the major ones like medical engineering, they seemed based off of original cast. The it the, didn't really the original fully series sink. Cast. Yes, original series cast. Sorry. It didn't really sink in until the engineer was like a surly Scott. And it started clicking. The medical was very bones-like and leaning in, being a little too intense at times. The navigator was a very bubbly, nice guy that was very Chekhov-like. It just felt like they were trying to take a caricature of original path, and that was the direction they gave to I mean, I, I could see that. I could even see that maybe he uh, took that initiative on his own. The one thing that I will, um, I see we're coming on with like the, the very directness of the, uh, the medical emergency hologram. Uh, I don't know. I, th- I think bones was just more of a dick <laughs> in the end. And this med this medical guy wasn't, but, um, also what accent did they use for the medical? Was it, was it like a British accent? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think if they did more of like a southern draw, that would that would have been way more bonesy. But, um, but no, I, I like it's definitely with like the Scotty type thing. I I see that one hundred percent. And the navigator too. It seemed like they were trying to give him a slight accent, and he was super nice and bubbly. It felt very Chekhov. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that too. Uh, yeah. One thing was just a, it was just a side thought. We're not going to get a ton of Picard seasons, uh, just because I mean, if, you know, Patrick Stewart's old, and at some point he's going to be like, "All right, I'm fucking retiring." I'm done. I say three at most. Yeah, probably three. I think that would be uh, good. They could probably tell something really cool in that time frame. Whatever happens, I want a Rios spinoff series. It'd be fun. Um, and if you can keep like your Raffi in there and your uh, fuck, just build the crew a little bit more, but. I love the fact that you could have a show with him playing so many characters. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as long as Girardi is not in it, because honestly, why isn't she in jail? I don't get it. Uh, she's not in jail for the same reason. Uh, what's her name at the end of season f- uh, four of The Expanse isn't in jail for you know blowing up a. And killing a bunch of people. She should have been in jail too. Like I'm all about it. I'm all about acceptance and forgiveness, but there's also a line, and she still needs to. Like yes, she. she I, I get like whole old Brett Spiner's thing about like you took a life, now you need to give a life, but. Yeah, they moved on pretty quick from it. Exactly, exactly. Like, sh- sure, she paid her debt, but a little bit. But I think there's a little bit more she needs to do before we're all like. All forgiven. Well, you know, here's you, the thing about the whole you forgiveness You killed a very thing, important though, asset. Is, yeah, but they explain it that because of that mind meld, something was implanted in her that wasn't her own thoughts. Not not the capacity she, to murder, her, though. At least, at least her decisions were influenced based on what was shown to her. Certainly. And the, like as they said, that message was not meant for her. It was meant to be decoded by uh, artificial intelligence. 
that makes any no, sense. No, no, you're, I, absolutely, I, I get you're you. absolutely right. I, I'm just trying to say that you cannot put that all on her character. She was used. So, for 100%, sure. 100% she was used. For sure, but, like, I, in that situation, would still be skeptical, I feel like, you know? There's, there's a difference between continuing to work with someone, but being skeptical, and being like, oh, man, she killed someone. I'm going to kiss her. Absolutely. <laughs> you're absolutely right, Mark. Yeah, but... At the same time, the message that this show is trying to d deliver of, like, we're going to move forward, um, we can coexist, that bitch is going to jail, uh, <laughs> let's fucking go get, let's go get hot dogs, come on, let's go, like, ah, come on, you can't do I that. I just think, like, like, okay, fine, maybe she could walk free, but, like, don't keep her on the damn ship. Like, she is definitely, like, even if not for, like, the fact that, like, that's a, even if not for the fact, like, she's a murderer, like, okay, we can get past the fact that she murdered a dude. Whatever. She is clearly not mentally stable at this point. But what's gonna happen in season fucking two, Ben? Come on, it's gonna be great! Yeah, when she has that's to gonna come back and bite them in the ass, yeah. and you know it. You can't let like yeah, you know, they're, they're gonna explore that. Don't worry. All right. Well, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. You're 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 afraid that they're gonna let bygones be bygones, and she just goes for it as a good character from here uh -huh. on out. No, that's gonna that's gonna resurface. 100%. I do, I do think the storyline's not over, but that last episode was like, it was a part two, but it needed a part three. I feel like they could have split that last episode up a little bit. Yeah. So maybe that just got kind of cut for time there. Yeah, maybe. Speaking speaking of exploring, and I know we're running out of time. But do you think these higher sentient lives, life, life, life forms on outside on the edge of the, on the edge of the galaxy, do you think they're going to come back in season two? Do you think that they are done with them now, or do you think that the Reapers are definitely coming now? Oh, I, oh holy crap! I hope they come. No, back. I think honestly, I was going to say honestly, I think Soji's put the call in. They know yeah. that somebody was at least trying to contact them. I think that's if that's not the next like main antagonist then i would be and very they probably surprised chalked it up as the the organics interfered like yeah like our it's people like, hey we got this call. they still need like, help you, we gotta go so we, we gotta go do you think if jean-luc picard tells the federation do you think that they're gonna believe him or or is he gonna have to go to some they believe or, him now or, they or lifted is he gonna have to go band. to like a private organization in order to get funding for like a new ship or something do you think well, no, maybe they, they're they, gonna put? Proved. Do you think maybe they're gonna put implants in him, or and like he'll have to go out there himself with like maybe a bit of a newer crew to kind of prepare for the coming of this of this higher life? And do you think? Do you think that maybe after like he ends up stopping like their preparation, he'll go back home to Earth? But then in season three they'll show up to earth and start killing everything and he'll have to escape and get the old crew back together. No, you don't think that's going to be a thing. I, how old is, uh, uh Patrick Stewart? 94. He's 78. I want to oh. say, or no, maybe more than that. He's up there, man. No. Okay. He's got some life in him. Yeah. I mean, I imagine he could probably, uh, yeah, that could happen then. Yeah. Sure. Did anyone else notice that his voice seemed to get stronger as the season went on? I, no. That might have that might have just Those been the last couple episodes. I think they were they were editing his voice. I mean, or just a testament in acting. He sounded very. Uh, I don't I don't want to say frail, but his voice just sounded, for lack of a better term, just old for a lot of like the episodes and those last couple episodes. It sounded like deeper and he was getting stronger. He was getting stronger. Like he started out as like a convalescent, you know, old man sitting in his winery at home, uh, and then he became a real 
human being and a real yeah, hero. Yeah, wasn't he Absolutely. using a cane on his winery at the beginning? Like, I think it was part of a theme of his character growth. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Ah, I could see that. Yeah. And now he's a robot. Uh, 79. Sorry. He's 79 years old. Seven of nine years old? No, but he, dude, he's super jazzed about, like, this show. Like, he's... I mean, he's he's always been jazzed about his character of Picard in general. Like he's always. Well, no, but if you if you read the interviews, he was like, I didn't want to revisit Picard. I thought that I, like, I finished that character. There was nothing else to tell. And then you know, twenty years later, just shy of twenty years later, they come to him with this new story, and he goes, "Okay, there's more to tell. Let's do it." But he he didn't want to do it. Like he was done. They pitched it originally, and he said. No, I mean, thanks for the uh, the idea, but no, I don't want to do it. And then somebody else wrote a different idea, and yeah. he was into it. So, yeah, I mean, well, I'm glad he did. I'm glad that, that that something spoke to him in this because, you know, this has been a treat. It's been an absolute treat. I agree. Uh, so I guess that's unless anyone else has anything they want to really uh, touch upon, or you can do it in your minute of good sci-fi, bad sci-fi. We're going to start with Mark. Good sci-fi. I think they touched on some subjects that are, you know, pretty classic sci-fi topics, but they did it in an interesting way that kind of, I mean, maybe I had just never really approached it from this angle before, but I, I think that it made me kind of think about AI in a different way than, you know, the typical topic would do. Uh, I like it a lot. All right. Thank you. Ben. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Matt. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with Matt next because there was no that's, Jason, the so. that's the order that you it's guys fine, said it's at fine, the table. Good. Sorry. I would say good sci-fi. It kind of hit me weird at times trying to view it through a lens of loving Next Gen. But in the end, I think it felt like a real Star Trek show and would have made Roddenberry proud. The only thing I really didn't care for was the Romulan ship design. Yeah, it was ugly. But that is something stupid, and if that's my biggest takeaway, it's solid sci-fi. Well, I actually want to look at that, um, because I know some things they did actually take from, uh, like, Star Trek Online, because that's, like, this is, I would say, kind of roughly where uh, Star Trek Online is. Maybe, like, that's a little bit further in the future, but if they're kind of using what a modern ship would be in that timeline and applying it to the show, I mad respect for him for keeping the continuity. It's just Romulan always a lot of felt crossover. very round and kind of soft. Right. And that was definitely not what the new ship looked like. All right. I'm sorry. So, <laughs> no, you so you give it a good sci-fi? Good, phenomenal sci-fi. Oh, all right. My man. All right. Ben. As our boy Schultz would say magnanimous sci-fi <laughs> it's it's truly a a become a staple as all star trek would have been i don't know if i agree that gene roddenberry would have been proud of this because gene is notorious for for hating drama in his sci-fi um that was um, next gen <laughs> but he how, was getting um, older and he was getting weirdly sentimental about wanting it to be perfect but while I think that he wouldn't be a fan of certain aspects of it, I think the the ending, the 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 thesis of the show and and many of the themes he would love. And I think that this is something that truly this is this is the next step in the evolution of Star Trek. If anything, this is 
answering and talking, not answering, but talking about questions that make us feel human and make us rethink our humanity. I know it made me rethink my humanity in a way that I didn't expect. And of course, you know, some of this may be inconsequential to our greater aspects, but if we're talking about the fact that maybe we should treat artificial and sentient life in a little better, in a little better light, even though they don't even exist, then we definitely should treat our fellow humans a little better because they definitely exist. So that's where I'm at. Magnanimous. Thank you. Good night. All right. Appreciate you, Bill. All right. So I feel like this is great sci-fi. It was really good. I liked it a lot. It made me think about stuff. Um, <clears throat> and as a film, <laughs> and as a film, I feel like it had characters that I gave a shit about, which is really hard to do for me. So I really liked, you know, the supporting cast. I love Picard. I love uh, Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, whenever, um, whenever he's on screen, I love him. Um, and I love it when he's in odd situations like the, like the part where they were the facers. I thought that was really funny. I thought that was really cool that he got to explore oh, yeah. that. But anyway, that was just a side note. But yeah, I loved it. It was great sci-fi. Definitely, uh, definitely recommend it. Good. Thank you, Bill. Andrew. Yeah. Uh, so I thought this was a really excellent sci-fi um, Star Trek. I mean, that there's a reason it's got the pedigree that it has. There's a reason why people have been going to Star Trek conventions for decades and stuff and dressing up like their favorite characters and learning made up languages and stuff. It's great. It's great sci-fi. It's got insanely great world building. Um, I really liked this uh, particular show. Very excited for the next season. Um, I loved one, one sort of thing that I didn't, you know, think I didn't realize going into it was just how it didn't feel like a sci-fi at first. It felt like kind of like of a sci-fi noir. I loved the whole precursor to getting on the ship and everything like that. Um, obviously that's not anything we talked about in this episode, but, uh, yeah, no, this is, this was, uh, it, it, it went hard sci-fi after that first half. So very, very much, uh, magnanimous sci-fi <laughs> all right thank you uh i'll be very brief uh i will say that i think this was great sci-fi but i give that to basically every star trek um man th they, this is less a like a social commentary on where we stand as a society right now but they are definitely asking those questions of like where we should be going um and I don't know. Uh, just they definitely explore what it means to be human or what it what we can constitute as uh, what rights are afforded to life and all that. Um, and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to the next season. Uh, I hope that it's very fresh, though. I don't want them to just kind of be uh, continuing with this with the way that they have been going. I feel like this was a good starter season, but I, I definitely want them to do something different, ask a different question, I guess, in the next season and not just be stuck on sentient versus or, or natural life versus artificial life or whatever, like just move it forward. So, um, yeah, I think great sci-fi. And there you have it, folks. Uh, that is our take on season one of Picard. I know Jason really wanted to be here, but he just couldn't make it work with his schedule. Um, but I'm sure he'll uh, post something on Facebook about his final thoughts when he uh, 
gets around to it. Um, next week we are finally finishing the Miller March madness slash March sadness arc that we've been doing with, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, so look forward to that. That will be our 50th episode. And I don't know, maybe we'll do something special for it aside from just the, uh, the topic that week, but maybe I'll shave my head. Maybe one of us oh, will kiss. Fuck. That's a great idea. I'll so kiss if someone. one of us is going to kiss, uh, what does that imply? You know what it means. Sci-fi is great. Like if two of us were to kiss, that means uh, that makes more sense. But if one of us is just going to kiss, I don't know. I'm just one. A little one-sided. Okay. Okay, so, <laughs> uh, does anybody have anything to plug? Uh, Once Upon a Tavern, we'll be back on Sunday. Oh, fuck, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, we, we okay. doing it, we doing it. Uh, I'm sick of waiting, and I know we're not going to be able to play for, like, months in person, so we are uh, starting up on Sunday again um, through a remote stream, so... Check us out at twitch.tv slash once upon a tavern underscores between the words. Thank you. All right, folks, there you have it. Until next time.